Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Amanda. And I'm Nicola. And in today's episode, we'll be interviewing a leather enthusiast with a passion for creating fashionable and essential items for day-to-day use. Our guest today is a Brooks alumna and self-taught local saddler. These passions sprung from her grandfather, who taught her how to appreciate the finer details in functional items that people walk past every day. Our guest created hand-stitched bespoke bridles, some of which were worn by British Dressage Olympic gold champions. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce New Sherman, creative director and founder at Hyde and Hammer Limited. Welcome, New. How are you? Hi, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you. Good. It's lovely to have you on Lost and Founded today. So for those who may be interested in leather work, why did you decide to start Hyde and Hammer? What was your inspiration and how long have you been operating for? It's a funny thing and it was kind of a really weird background story to get where I am at the moment. This incarnation of Hyde and Hammer happened because after having my daughter uh, I was basically unemployable. If you want to work as a self-employed person or if you're working for other self-employed people or small businesses it's very difficult to find any support when you're pregnant or on maternity leave just as we operate in such small capacities. So I discovered that my background in sales, because I've worked in shops and things in the past, wouldn't cover the amount of money that I'd need in order to pay for her childcare. So that wasn't really an option. And then I'd started to make these bags when I was pregnant and they'd started to gain a little bit of notoriety, a little bit of traction in the nine months that I was pregnant. And I was very lucky because the lady I was working with at the time that we used to make the bridles with, she, or that you used to make the bridles for, sorry, she had a machine and I started using that, um, which was a really steep learning curve going from everything hand stitched to finally using a machine. So I thought after I'd had Eve, I'd kind of give it a shot and see what happened. And it kind of worked. So <laughs> I kept going with it. We've been going now for, well, my daughter's three and a half. So we've been going about two and a half years. I actually love the fact that you said that obviously this kind of sprung out of like, it was almost out of coincidence. You know, you had your daughter and then you kind of like developed this thing as part of you being in a situation where you were, I guess, technically in society's terms, unemployable. How did you kind of develop and expand your skill set then to, to run Hide and Hammer? Is this something that you already knew how to do or had to completely discover something brand new? No, I was lying by the seat in my pants and I some days I still am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try my best and I definitely try and put structures in place and I discovered at the end of last year that actually that I have ADHD so for people that don't know that's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder sometimes it's referred to as ADD because you don't necessarily have the hyperactivity with it as well and I've discovered that while I work best within a structure I really struggle to create one for myself which is like a really typical way of operating. I have experienced some really really quick growth and it was really important for me within the business to a sustainable structure so it didn't become like a hollow shell and then collapse from the inside. I'm very aware of my failings within it too so as it continued to grow and then the pandemic hit 
And that was when I started to look at hiring people with different skill sets. And I'm a really, really big believer in if there's something that you can't do, somebody else can do it. They're trained for it and they have the ability to do it. Like you cannot do everything yourself. And that's something that I really, really struggle with still to this day, because I really want to be able to do everything myself. I think it's so difficult, especially like when you have that passion to run your own business and then you kind of like, oh, I kind of need this. And you probably think I should learn how to do this. But then in reality, you actually just don't have the time. And I think there's always people like you said that know how to do it already. So why not just, you know, hire them if you have the money? Obviously. <laughs> like the thing is as well, it's like as an entrepreneur, you really do put that pressure on yourself. You are the sole focus of your business. You are the face of it. You are like everything. I got into this business because I liked making things. And I got into this business because I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I was okay at that. Well, I'm all right at that. I enjoy it. It's good fun. But yeah, accounts and even just catching up day to day with admin and emails and things and keeping on top of all of that. That's a whole new level of skill set that comes really naturally and easily to other people, but not to me. I mean, I'm going to put it out there and say that my degree at Brooks really really helped too. I've got a degree in marketing and communications and it's really surprising the amount of information that you retain and that has been instrumental to this too. Yeah I think it's really important for people to know that you can't do everything even though you want to be involved in every aspect there's a certain level where you basically have to think okay this not everything is in my control there are people out there who I can have in my team so obviously as you grow and your team has probably expanded quite a bit so what does your current team look like and what does a normal working day actually consist of for you as you try to find a structure within hide and hammer okay so I love this question not least because when I got your little thing about it I wrote on there I was like there's no such thing as a normal day here (laughs) (laughs) I think that's everywhere at this point A normal day or the structure within the workplace at the moment so me trying to train myself to do all of the things cost me more money than hiring somebody because your time is so much better spent doing the things that you are good at. The people that I work with at the moment, I work with an amazing company in London called Spare My Time. It's run by a woman called Melissa. I hire through Melissa. I hire Rosie, who is my PA. She does so much. I hire Rosie and I hire a bookkeeper. And through my bookkeeper, I hire an accountant as well, because that's been so important for us. And then in the workshop, I have a friend working with me called Venetia. She's incredible. Her making pedigree is amazing. She has worked for some incredible leather working or leather brands and things. I really landed on my feet with that one. We're currently looking to hire somebody in the workshop, in the office as well. So that will be the next step somebody in-house to take over hosting packaging emails and customer management which is what I'm still doing a lot of at the moment too and in terms of a normal day we kind of roll with what's going on I definitely have found that with the pandemic and everything that's happened we've been as a smaller company able to move quite quickly not always in the right direction but we have been able to move quite quickly. So things, it starts with them, every day starts with post. We do postage and packing and everything because the postman comes early. And then from there, we've got a long list of things. So we still make a lot of items in the workshop. I have managed to get some help making things, but every single item goes through our workshop in one way or another. We finish it in one way or another in here, um, which is really important to me because it keeps us hands-on with the business, with the product and what we're then sending out to people. I think that's really, really cool. And I think I really love the way you kind of sort of just adapt to it. I think it's it's quite nice to be a small business as well, you know, to be able to like easily pivot in some ways where I guess if you're a larger corporation, you don't have that sort of flexibility. When you started your business, is that something that you ever kind of, you'd ever do? Or did you 
aspire to be an entrepreneur? No, I didn't think it was an option. I was always told that you had to go to school, you had to go to college or university, you had to slog your guts out working for somebody else until you finally got your pension and that was it, done. And then within that, you had to fit in life, kids, everything else that went on. The difference is that I don't fit into that structure. And working in an office made me very, very ill. Working for other people's dreams mentally, it just drains you. You put 110% into every single thing that you do or I do personally and it was always for somebody else or it was in a stressful environment where I didn't operate particularly well and I found that very difficult because I thought I was failing um so this was something like I said that I fell into that I don't really feel like it was an option I feel like it was a a maternity leave was a a bit of a wake-up call for me a bit of a step back and then it was like the oh no, what am I going to do now? Oh, we have to make money. Oh, great. I have to go and do something. Um, So I gave myself six months with it. And I was kind of like, right, it's an all or nothing. We've got to go and do it. And we've got to see what happened. We worked it around my husband's shifts because he's a shift worker. He's he's a key worker. That's kind of what happened. So no, no training, no plan. (laughs) That must have been so frightening though. I can imagine it was just scary because you you have no idea where you're going to end up. I mean, it is. I think it still is like that, uh, especially with the last 18 months. It's like you're still at that point um, and you kind of feel like you're learning the market again and you're starting again at the moment. But with a couple of work with three or four years experience at the moment, it's it's very um, leveling. But um, yeah, exciting, too. And I kind of feel like that's the draw. <laughs> I, can't, I kind of feel like that's the, the thing that keeps pulling me back. <laughs> that's great and I'm sure over the three years there's been so many different ups and downs that have happened within the business but has there any sort of big obstacle that you really had to overcome when trying to set up hide and hammer that you kind of think back and you say whoo we finally made it through that one but it's something that you had to experience to get to where you are now yeah I mean I guess the thing is I get in my own way a lot I because I not necessarily want to be in control but because I feel that I can do all of the things all of the time I get in my own way a lot and I have an enormous to-do list that isn't necessarily reasonable (laughs) so instead of delegating the things that I need to delegate I put them on the to-do list when actually they just need to go to somebody else or I need to employ somebody to do them and that's been an ongoing theme that I'm beginning to recognize now so things are progressing a lot quicker and that's great But the one setback with any entrepreneurial business is if you're doing it on your own, you are, to begin with, everything. You are, you know, accounts, marketing, the design team, the creative ability. You are absolutely everything. And that intimidating. But also, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I think I'm pretty glad about that because if I'd have sat myself down and said, well, this is what you're going to have to do with a kid, a finite amount of time that you can get it done in. You only have the time that they're at school or at nursery. So I get in my own way a lot. But that's the biggest obstacle is navigating business and childcare and all the things around that. <laughs> that is crazy. Um, obviously that is, it's just mad. I'm just thinking about it now. I don't have any children, but I'm thinking if I did, I'd, oh my gosh, well, kudos to you. <laughs> if you want to start a business, start it now if you don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kids add a sense of urgency to it, but yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I think, I mean, even just going back to the business itself, how did you find a, well, a gap in the market for Hide and Hammer? What was your sort of inspiration behind that? So 
again it's it's an odd one because it's something that so the first design the first products that I designed and made they weren't anything that I would have said were completely unique but they were something that I wanted to use I started making first bags I ever made were leather zip top pouches and they're amazing for everything they're amazing for toiletries they're amazing for like going away bags they're incredible for all of that but the one thing that I designed them specifically for and I pitched them to that market was the knitting market so at that time um I couldn't find anything that was simple classically designed and that would just get better with age that really beautiful feeling After that you get with from them making really... their tool rolls I thought this was just some of the best leather because I still wanted to work with it after making all of those tool rolls I still wanted to work with it so I started making these zip top bags out of it and I kind of fell into that in a way that people then it started to generate interest I wanted to then make a slightly less uh, less expensive more affordable version so that people could you know have two options with what they wanted to purchase and the canvas ones then came about with the roll top on them and again marketed predominantly to knitters and it still is marketed predominantly to knitters but they make fantastic lunch bags absolutely fantastic lunch bags you can put all of your bits in there your cutlery your drinks bottles everything um and I've now found a canvas that's both water resistant and machine washable so it's like as the business has developed we found all of these innovative products that we're working with all of these things I've even found a washable suede now like suede leather I did not know that existed how cool is that <laughs> so watch this space guys there's something new coming with that one but yeah so the the USP of the business has basically been how it started for me and the whole fact that at that time I, it couldn't fulfill for me the unisex but also something that would just fit seamlessly into my everyday life something that I didn't have to worry about that didn't have any demands on my time that would fit on top of a baby bag or clip to a strap or anything like that and all of our designs do that so that's really cool I think what I've just picked up from what you said what I really love about your journey is that every sort of innovative step you've taken has been been because you couldn't specifically find something that fit within that and so you've just kind of taken the next step you've been entrepreneurial when you're thinking and created something as opposed to you know stepping back and saying actually it doesn't exist so I think that's a huge part I guess to all of our listeners today that if something actually doesn't exist then why not be the person to create it like there's nothing uh, nothing stopping you from doing that I've heard the I've heard loads of people say that there's no such thing as an original thought and I get it I get what you're saying but there's also no such thing as your product until you've done it and you are in terms of a USP like you as an individual you are your unique selling point and you're not gonna sell that or like nobody else is going to believe in the product as much as you do um so you might as well go for it and give it a go yeah I think that's really great and I what, what I really like is that you've thought of because leather itself is quite uh, any product you get it's always quite pricey but the fact that you've thought okay I need to make things that I used every day that you know, a bit more affordable for certain people. You're appealing to a wider range of people to actually buy your products. I'm sure working with leather can consume, of course, a lot of time and energy, but are there any ways in which Hyde & Hammer tries to 
have some positive environmental contributions to make the business more sustainable, given that you work with natural stuff such as wood and leather? Yeah, so it's not necessarily wood we work with. We do work with uh, metals. So we work with brass and um, solid brass specifically. The So all of our packaging, in order to reduce our environmental impact, it's really important for me that Hyde and Hammer isn't creating any more plastic waste. So all of our, pro- our all of our products are sent out in acid-free tissue paper. We use paper bag recyclable SVC certified mailers, as well as the so all of the packaging and everything that we use, the branded bands. It's all FSC certified. It's all recyclable as well, which is also really important. Um, and I do get asked a lot about vegan alternatives for my products. Uh, it's not something that I vetoed. I am actively looking into it and I'm still looking into it. The only problem that I have at the moment is trying to find an alternative that isn't plastic coated or um, has a plastic core because a lot of the bands and stuff that we can use to replace the leather has a pl- have a plastic core in them. And to me, having a product that will last like leather So the leather is great because it develops a really beautiful patina over time. It develops a patina and a story that is individual to the individual user. And that is so important. The leather straps that we use will go on for decades uh, unless they get chewed by a dog, which we've had. (laughs) Or um, we get some products that have been covered in paint or red wine, which is fine. Uh, I mean, that's party time. So... All of the individual pieces on our best-selling bags are replaceable. So it means that the life of the bag goes on for as long as possible. And there's minimum waste, there's minimum um, landfill, there's minimum anything. So that's really, really important to me. And in terms of energy consumption, the bags are stitched, but they are... So they're machine stitched now, um, but a lot of the finishing touches that would take up time and energy in that respect is still done by hand. So we use a lot of traditional hand tools. We use a lot of, um, we've got a foot press in the workshop rather than having a, a pneumatic press. And we've, not least because we don't have the room for it. <laughs> We're still operating in a room that is pretty much the size of a double bedroom. So um, we don't have a lot of energy consumption in that respect and a lot of the tools that we use in the workshop are I think they're like 50 60 years old some of them much older they were used in the war um so it's kind of a collection of mismatch of bits and pieces rather than buying new um in the leather industry a lot of the old tools are the ones that do it best and they do it consistently so that's um yeah there's such a story behind like all of the little tools and materials that you use I absolutely love it and I would say that I mean, even talking about sustainability, you've kind of always used it quite fashionably, which is um, it was quite nice to, for you to be able to do that in the fashion sort of industry, I suppose. Would you say that it was uh, also, how do you sort of keep up with the latest fashion trends and in terms of leather work in general? Is that something that would sort of benefit your business? Is it not something that you concentrate on at all? So interestingly enough, I actively try not to. <laughs> I um, I really struggle. I've always struggled to keep up with fashion trends um, as an individual, as um, growing up, any of that. I 
the noise of it all. I physically couldn't keep up with it. And I found it really, really draining. And the times that I have looked into trends and what have you, I it hasn't fitted with me. It's not felt right. And it hasn't fitted with the brand. So I still try to make things, or I do try to make things that look like they will fit on well in in any sort of situation we make things in different colors i think the most fashion orientated i've got is that we went leopard print a couple of weeks ago <laughs> but leopard print's the new neutral so i'm not really sure if that counts as fashion um so we've got we're offering some of our designs now in a tan buff leopard print and a blue leopard print as well but they're more of like a watercolor finish they look like they're amazing i'm so so proud of them but again, I don't think we really follow that um, trends. I mean, I've got a whole notebook full of sketches and it's going to be it's going to be a while working through those. But they are more in a response to speaking to customers at shows, to expanding the business in a way that I have, I think will be, like you say, sustainable and the products will last a long time. Um, I mean, my daughter uses a couple of my products now. She uses some of the smaller bags of things that we do for collecting acorns and shells. And it's that story that I really want to infuse into the brand rather than the sell, sell, sell um, that we're fed every day. Absolutely. Like the sustainability is the fashion. Like I don't even think it has to have a color or a pattern. I think that that is your fashion. Like that's your unique selling point and your fashion. I think that's cool. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair because fashion changes so much. So you might as well just stick to what you know best instead of trying to keep up with all the fashion trends and obviously being a small business that has helped you function in the way that you do. But have you actually thought about maybe making you know hide and hammer a more commercial brand as yet or are you happy with it just being as it is for the moment and trying to manage the growth over the next few years so that's a really interesting one because as a typical like I wouldn't even know where to begin with making a sort of commercial statement out of hide and hammer um so the growth that we've had at the moment has been really organic I, I have started to hire people to look out for social media aspects and things and advertising around that as well because I feel like that's important for not just myself but also if I'm able to keep employing people then I, I feel like at the moment as well that is all that's really really important in this economic time if I'm able to keep growing the business I would really love to do that and to support so supporting British economy is kind of paramount to where we go all of our mills are in the UK um, the leather distributors are all within the UK and things as well and the people that make the um, studs and stuff for our bags are from an English foundry too so it's kind of in terms of going like big and going commercial it may happen. It may happen one day. It's not a skill set that I have. I would need to talk to somebody else and bring them on board for that. And I'm perfectly willing to do that. But it would need to be built in a way that would maintain our core values, our brand, and how um, how important it is for me to keep it kind of um, happy, I think, is the thing, because you work so hard at something. It needs to be something sustainable that you can enjoy uh, obviously not every day is enjoyable 
but um, for the most part, the business needs to function in a way that where everybody is looked after, happy, and um, yeah, because I think that really shows as soon as because you have this image of a corporate brand. Um, and you have this image of people that are not happy within the workplace or that have this. I'm going from past experience here. Like People might be really, really happy in their corporate life. Um, I'm going from my past experience. So I would really like the company if we do or as we grow, not to grow into that hollow shell and to grow with soul and to grow with the values that I have instilled in this from the start. Yeah, and I think that's great. It's all about the values that takes you from being where you started to wherever you, you know, you're meant to be going as a business. And this is one of my fun questions to ask. So obviously you said you never really saw yourself as an entrepreneur, but what did you actually want to be when you grew up? There's always, you know, everybody has a weird story. Some very few people say, okay, it's what they actually ended up doing in their life. But a lot of people, it was something completely different. So what was your sort of childhood fantasy? I wanted to be a secondary school maths teacher. <laughs> I um I didn't realize until much later actually when I was at Brooks that I am really quite dyslexic um and now knowing what I know about my ADHD as well it all makes sense maths made sense to me because there's a clear pattern and a clear answer you can't deviate from it algebra I absolutely love um because there's a problem a pattern and an answer and you can do it and you can move it around and it was great so yeah I wanted to be a secondary school maths teacher fair enough I'm glad between one of us somebody understands maths because I did not <laughs> oh, I'm not saying I understand it anymore in accounting probably wow more than, probably just a little bit more than me anyways <laughs> I, love it. I mean even that being said like what would you say an entrepreneur looks like to you so if you could describe an entrepreneur in one type of way or a metaphor for example what what would you what would you say it was okay so I had to like in answer to this it's I found it really difficult because I wouldn't describe myself as an entrepreneur um I would describe myself as a business owner or a creative something um a basically just a hard-working mum like a lot of people when you start your own business you put everything into it and you continue to put everything into it and you hit burnout more times than you can possibly count because you've put your heart your soul and everything into this business or your passion or whatever it it is um so I kind of feel like my vision of an entrepreneur is someone with that slight eye twitch that looks slightly tired um, and is trying to do 50 things at once whilst also balancing like a really like a really cold cup of tea on one hand um, and like an ancient laptop on the other and you have got notes written all up your arm because you've forgotten to do 150 things that day and you've got to remember to do them before you have a shower that night because otherwise you'll wash them on and the whole thing will be gone. But the cold, the cold tea is paramount. I mean, I've got a lukewarm cup of tea at the moment, and that's the first <laughs> cup of tea I've had that's been lukewarm for months. So yeah, the eye twitch was quite relatable. I can't lie; that's what that just gave me the giggles. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so relatable. Like I've literally got the warm tea in my hand as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we're all entrepreneurs on this call. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, but yeah. So obviously 
so much going on. So you potentially have lots of plans coming up. What is the next few steps you have planned for Hyde and Hammer within, for example, like you just said, you launched sort of the whole leopard print with the watercolors, but is there any other big steps in the in the near future for you? Yeah, big steps. Um, we've got two custom printed fabrics that are going out hopefully later this year. I've got two to three new designs that I'm mounting and building up and we're working with a new company at the moment that will hopefully take the pressure off us in the workshop. So as you can imagine, as we as we grow, um, keeping stock and actually making things within in the small workshop is quite difficult. So I'm kind of experimenting with some new ways of doing it. So I'm hoping it works out. I've got everything crossed. I had a really exciting meeting yesterday, so that's good. Um, and like I said, yeah, we're taking on or trying, we're advertising for a new person. We will be advertising for a new person when I finish writing the job description because I can't delegate that because I have to write it um, later this week because I'm actually going on maternity leave in November, uh, which is going to be a whole new challenge because I've never owned and ran run a business with a baby. <laughs> always um well I have owned and run a babies with a baby but not like quite so fresh so we'll see what happens I mean I really trust the people that I work well that I have working with me at the moment so um those are the new challenges that are kind of up and coming but yeah I'm really excited about these new designs and I'm also really excited about the two companies that I'm going to be working with so that's fingers crossed we can pull it all off the sun's shining so anything's possible right wow. I agree Honestly, you're really shaking things up in the in the leather world um, and kind of like the way things are run um, for women, especially actually for women who want to have a family and want to have their own careers. So I think that's great. So we're actually right at the end of our interview. So do you have any last words of advice for anyone with a passion to start their own business? Yeah, you just got to start it. You really have just got to start it. Pull your finger out and get on with it. There's always a reason not to. Um, so there's always the perfect photograph that needs to be taken. There's always the tutorials that need to be done. There's always the perfect Instagram photo, the time lapse. The And I know because I have a really, really long list, usually written on my arm, of all of the things that... I should, in inverted commas, be doing, that I should be putting myself out there to do X, Y, and Z. The problem with it is that if you always put barriers in your in your own way, you will never do that thing. And the biggest takeaway, if you don't take anything else away from this, is that you always regret the things that you don't do, not the things that you do. I mean, you might regret the things that you do too, but that's, you know, that's fine. But you always, like, there is always a bigger regret of the things that you don't do. Things like going traveling before, you know, you go to university, things like taking that job, not taking that job, like that's the thing. And if you don't try this, if you don't put yourself out there and you don't give it everything that you've got, you will never know. None of us are great at this to start off with. Like you might have all of the degrees in the world, but you still might not have that confidence to go out and do it, but you really, really do. Now's the time. Oh, and get yourself a good business coach because I really wish I'd done that from the start. <laughs> yeah, 
I think that advice, that advice is so applicable on just a general life. life level. You know, it's always the things you'll think of in a year, like, oh, I should have done this, should have done mm-hmm. that. It's always about what you didn't do. But at least, you know, if you tried and gave it your best, you think, okay, that's what I can do. Maybe it wasn't for me sort of thing. But you gave yourself, you took that first step and you actually tried. And I think that's great of what you've done. Well, there's so many things that weren't for me getting to this point. Mm-hmm. I, I've been doing leather work for, what, 10, nearly 15 years and there were so many false starts, the things that didn't work out for me. There were so many times that I nearly gave up. And this was the one time that I gave myself six months. The one time that I was like, I'm not going to do it with another job because there's always an excuse then. There's always something to fall back on. I'm too tired. I'm too this. I'm still working for somebody else. So this one, the the time off when I had my daughter gave me this perspective and it was do or, you know, not do or die because that's really overdramatic, but it's like it's that thing isn't it it's that I have to try it for me not for anybody else but for me I have to really go for it and yeah like I said get yourself a good business coach that you connect with because I got one at the beginning of COVID I did a little excuse me I did a discovery call and um, I was like oh you talk a lot of sense and I've been in my own head for like at least a year and a half working on my own this is amazing. Um, and since working with her, it's gone from strength to strength. And it's also just nice to talk to somebody about businessy stuff because it can be quite lonely sometimes. No, I think that's amazing advice, really. Belle, thank you so much for joining us today on the Lost and Founded podcast. No, it's honestly been a pleasure to hear about your journey and how much you want to grow. And good luck with the maternity leave again coming up thank soon. You. You're welcome. This has been really good fun. Can we do it again? <laughs> We'd love to just be you and Amanda having another yeah. chat. <laughs> With a lukewarm cup of tea, let's do that. <laughs> Try and get a hot one next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll treat ourselves. It's the new out-out. <laughs> exactly. So are there any sort of social media links you'd like to share with our audience? Hopefully they can give you a follow and become a fan of Hide and Hammer. Instagram is Hide and Hammer and our website is hideandhammer.co.uk. Um, so yeah, every now and again, I put up businessy stuff on there, but the rest of the time, it's all sort of product related and things too. So you can check us out on there. Um, and just, yeah, like I said, feel free to ask me any questions and things too, if there's people out there that are a bit worried about stuff. Thank you, No, It's been a pleasure having you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been the Lost and Founded podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod. With new episodes being released every Thursday, we'll be ready to continue taking steps to bring your ideas to life. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences. That's all for now and we'll see you next week.